If you're looking for success, it's in the details. Small hinges move big doors. And now your host, Karen Allen. Hello, friends, and welcome to the show. You know where you are in the details with your host, Karen Allen. And today we are joined by a new friend of mine, Tanya Vasayo. She's the founder of The Courage to Be a platform where she teaches tools, mindset, and various strategies to help women create an empowered life of freedom. In this episode, we're going to explore Tanya's background, some milestone learning moments, and also effective strategies that are getting her clients' results. So go ahead, get your pen, your paper ready, because these gems could quite literally change your life. So let's jump right in. Tanya, welcome. Thank you for having me. I'm excited for our conversation, Karen. Thank you. In the few minutes that we started chatting, I'm like, you're my people. I am so happy we are connected. (laughs) I feel the same. I'm interested. I think this would be helpful for our listeners to, you know, understand where you're coming from. Give us a little insight about your background and how you got into this area of coaching. I told you I was doing some research and I'm like, I don't know what she calls herself, but I'm going to call her a freedom coach. (laughs) But I've noticed that it's because your specialty is in that space of financial freedom and also business acumen. So just give us the background. How did you get into this space? I love that you coined me with that because ever actually my name, my dad wanted to name me Tanya because of a freedom fighter, you know? So it's just like, I really relate. I think intuitively you just connected with that. Uh, but yeah, my story starts in Spain. I was born and raised in Spain at the end of Franco's dictatorship. And so the 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 country didn't transition into a democracy until the 80s and and that was palpable, even as, as a young kid, you know, it's a very patriarchal country. And on top of that patriarchal uh, family, my dad's seven brothers and one sister and the sister's the youngest. So there was always this yearning for freedom, even though I, I had a wonderful childhood, you know, this is not about victimhood, you know, or how horrible my life was. It's not about that at all. It, it was just this invisible, unspoken language of of the culture, you know, of of the men, you know, are the dominant ones, they're the smarter ones. Uh, And my mom's American. So when I was 15, I got the opportunity to come to the US and study my sophomore year in high school. Uh, I, I spent that year with my uncle and his family. And I got that first taste of freedom, like you were talking about. So it's funny that you're using that term. And I came to the U.S., I experienced that, and I said, wow, I think I want to come back when I'm in college. And I did my first two years in Spain and my last two two years in the U.S. again to experience that freedom once again. And in the interim, then I applied for a master's degree, met my husband, and so I stayed in the U.S. for all these years. I've been now over 20 years in the States. Would you study in school? I studied communications and fine arts as a minor, but then in, what what was it? In the nineties, I, as soon as I finished, I went to New York, I interned in in Manhattan at one of the agencies there. And I realized that I wanted to become an art director. There weren't many schools that offered art direction at that time. And I found one particular school in Miami, which was not recommended by a lot of people. I studied at School of Visual Arts. I interviewed at Pasadena School of Design. 
Anyway, I ended up in Miami. I did my master's degree in Miami ad school, which has now become like an Ivy League school in the advertising field. You know, it's <laughs> funny how we follow our intuition and, and see where it lands us. And then I worked in New York City for many years. I met my husband at the school. He was also an art director. And we both worked in New York City for multi-million dollar accounts like Starbucks, Samsung, Nabisco, AT&T. But it got to a point where it just didn't align with me anymore, with my values being in corporate. And I didn't know what I wanted to do. Again, looking for that freedom, like you were saying, of just like, I didn't want the constraints of corporate. And I was getting, I'm a multi-passionate person. And I have- same here, Tanya. (laughs) I feel like so many women, we fall into that category. I have like Every degree and certification you can think in the self-development world, you know, like with Louise Hay and Jack Canfield and Landmark Education. I mean, you fill in the blank. I've done some type of certification in that world. And so I wanted to be a coach and I wanted to be a freelancer and as an art director, but I also wanted to pursue my photography. So my husband and I quit our jobs in art direction in New York City, well-paid jobs, and we moved to Spain. We moved back to Spain, not to Madrid. We didn't want a big city again. We wanted a smaller city. So we moved to Coruña, which is in the northwestern part of Spain. And we started our studio. We offered all kinds of creative services from branding, marketing, photography. We worked in the film industry for a little bit. And we ran the studio for several years. Then we moved back to the States where I'm at currently in Santa Fe, New Mexico. And it got to a point where my husband, I don't know if any of you can relate to this or maybe you, Karen, like it was a little bit of this feast and famine because you had two art directors with no business training, no business uh, understanding, trying to run a business. And so some months we'd do great and we're like, yay, you know, like we're making so much money. We got a new client. And then the next month it's like, where's the money going to come from? You know, like we're going into panic, like we're going to have to go get a job now or whatever. Welcome to entrepreneurship, right? That's exactly (laughs) what happened. And so it got to a point where he said to me, you know, I don't want to run the studio anymore. I think I just want to pursue my art. And I said, awesome. You know, because it kind of gave me again, the freedom of like, I can do what I want. If it's my business, I get to make the choices instead of both of us trying to figure out, you know, or compete with each other. But it left me in the space of, well, what am I going to teach? You know, what do I want to focus on? Do I go back to the coaching? You know, that's the problem when you're multi-passionate. It's like, can I blend everything together or do I have to choose art direction or coaching or photography? And I launched the courage to be happy. That's what it was at the time. We're in the middle right now of rebranding years later. And which I have to say, I love the rebrand of the courage to be. I think that is beautiful. And I'm glad that you listened to your intuition with that redirection. I think it's beautiful. Thank you. Thank you for that. Yeah, it was a courage to be happy and it it worked and it was an alignment for me for several years, but something needed to shift. Like there was a calling to a different space, you know, like there's an evolution with it. And I started teaching women about branding because that was my expertise, but I'd infuse it with a lot of coaching, you know, and all these other things that I had, you know, I was able to mix that multi-passion that I had. So I was doing live events and I launched the business when my daughter was only like 18 months And in four years, I was able to reach the six-figure revenue, you know, like that's like a big goal for us solopreneurs. 
And I was only working 20 hours a week, no social media. I was off of social media for four years. So I was like, yay. You know, like I got so excited. I'm like, I hit the milestone and that was 2019. And then 2020 came and COVID (laughs) hit. And of course it was a slap on the face and the humbleness, you know, like, oh, you know, what do I do now? What's going to happen? All of this was based on live events. And I love doing live events and retreats because I love seeing the transformation of the women. So things have shifted a little bit. That's why it's now the courage to be. And in the process of it, though, it's it shifted from teaching branding to teaching business strategies because the women that I was working with, they see that they're like, oh my God, what are you doing to achieve these successes? And I'm like, I'm following these processes. I have my own mentors. I have my own teachers. I have my own coaches. And in the process of it, one of the things I realized is that no matter how many tools you have for business strategies and you know, implementing and the funnels and all these other different things, if you have not worked on your money mindset, you know, and how you relate to money and what your relationship to money is, you can make all the money in the world. You'll sabotage it and you'll either lose it all and have to start from scratch or you won't understand. You're like, I'm making all this money. You could be a professional, you know, making, you know, $100,000 salary and your expenses keep going up or you get hit with a medical bill or something happens along the way because you haven't worked on your money stuff. Mm -hmm. And so last year I launched my new signature class, which I love. It's called Money Magic Miracles. And just to give you an example with it, in the first uh, cohort we did, we had 25 women and in eight weeks, they collectively manifested over $1.2 million. What? It was amazing. amazing. I had already been, it it was actually proof to myself too, because I'd already been teaching in my year long program. Like I'd infuse it with money mindset and our relationship with money. But when I launched that program uh, and we've had several cohorts already and maybe almost a hundred students gone through the, the program, but it's just like my new baby that I'm so excited about because it's, it helps the women shift their mindset from there's never enough. I don't have enough money. I'm not good enough. The, the not enoughness, this lack mentality that's been programmed into us mm-hmm. to start shifting into seeing the abundance that's all around us, because we really do live in this world of abundance and we might understand that conceptually. And we were like, oh yeah, the world is abundant, but how do I get into it when I'm seeing my bank account is not reflective of an, uh, an abundance, you know? So it's been awesome to run that. And just, I continue to teach business strategies to, to women, but my focus now is on the money mindset, you know, and just with the work that I've done, I've uh, surrounded myself in this last five, six years with a ton of teachers and mentors in the financial space, learning about cryptos, learning about the stock market. I mean, this was like, Chinese to me when I started uh, years ago, and I felt very ignorant. And again, that's all part of the programming and growing up in a society where it was very patriarchal. And that unspoken, invisible line that I was telling you of just uh, men will take care of you. You know, you'll marry a man. He'll basically the 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 message was there. A man is your financial plan. 
Mm-hmm. And if you don't marry a man that'll take care of you because he knows finances and he'll be able to take care of you, then it'll be your brother. If you don't have a brother, it'll be your dad. And if it's not your dad, it'll be your uncle, you know, but mm-hmm. not empowering women to say, you know, you take control of your finances, understand your finances. And when I started seeing statistics, you know, it's like 50% of women will end up in divorce. The other 50% that are lucky enough to stay in a marriage will outlive their spouses. 80% of them will outlive their spouses. So that made me question and say, damn, if I don't understand this financial stuff now, I don't want to have to learn it when I'm in the middle of a crisis because I I either lost my spouse or because I'm in the middle of a divorce, you know? So that's what helped me learn about finances and investing and all these other things, even though I don't teach so much. I I did teach a crypto class because I've been involved with crypto since 17, but yeah, I'm more, I'm more fascinated about the psychology, the mindset, you know, our, the energy of money, you know, the metaphysical aspect of it. So yeah, yeah that's yeah. a little bit, that was a long story, but I just <laughs> wanted to give it all together. Tanya, Karen. I hang on every word. I hang, I love it. I absolutely love it. And it's important to understand how we, you know, have gotten to the space that we are today. That, that honestly, that is, you know, my whole passion with this uh, podcast. We, a lot of times will celebrate the success that we see in someone's life today, but there are a lot of details that we don't always see that contribute to that person's success today. And so going into the details a little bit and understanding your background is really, really helpful. And one thing that you mentioned that I, let me tell you, I absolutely felt that in my own life is the difference between living in a scarcity mindset and an abundant mindset, because you're right. Conceptually, I understand what an abundant mindset is, but what I had to do in my own work of personal transformation was identifying what was really blocking me and what was creating the scarcity mindset. And I'm curious if you could share some of the most common blocks that you see in your clients that creates the scarcity mindset or creates, you know, other fears? And also how do you help them to overcome those blocks? Yes. That's such a great question. The first thing it's, and and it's such a great question because the first place to start identifying money blocks is becoming aware. So maybe this is the first time you've ever even heard of the term a money block. It's like, Oh, do I have one of those? You know, like what, what is this money block thing? So it's a great question. And we all have them. We've all been infused, programmed from the moment we were born until age about seven, eight is what the psychologists, the therapists say, you know, it's our brain is not developed enough to be able to question things. So that's why they say kids are like sponges because we're absorbing as a little kid, everything around us, you know, like we're absorbing everything we see, everything we experience, everything we hear. So we've taken that in. And no matter what your upbringing has been, whether it's been in lack or whether it's been in wealth, you've given money meaning. Money is just one of the things you've given health meaning, you've given your beliefs in God meaning, yep. you've been giving relationships meaning <laughs> as a little kid. So most likely, if you've never done this type of work, most likely that little kid in you is the one that's running the show. 
that's why it's so important to do this type of work and start understanding like, oh yeah, what do I believe about money? What do I believe about relationships? What do I believe about religion? What do I believe about fill in the blank? Because no one teaches us to question these things. It just gets passed down to us. It gets passed down to us by our parents. It gets passed down to us by our church. It gets passed down to us by the media, by our culture, by everything, you know, like it's so that's the starting point. The main blocks that I've seen is you have to work hard for money. That was a big one for me. And again, just because you understand this conceptually, or you read this in a book, or you listen to this and this wonderful podcast, mm-hmm. it doesn't mean that once you understand it, that it's going to be gone. This is work in progress. Working on your money stuff it's a lifelong thing. Like one of the main money blocks I had personally was you have to work hard for money. That was passed down to me, especially through my dad's side, also through my mom's side, you know, the depression, you know, my grandparents going through that. So there was this badge of honor on both sides of like, oh, we work hard for our success. We work hard for our money. And why didn't they teach us like, oh, no, let let me teach you about investments where your money works hard for you. I mean, how awesome would that be if we taught that to kids? I'm trying to teach that now to my niece and nephew, especially to my nephew. He has more interest in it. I'm like, he's only in his 20s. I'm like, I wish I would have learned about investment in my 20s. I wish I would have learned about IRAs and Roth IRAs in my 20s instead of my late 30s, you know, because what the, what you have to gain is time. If you have time, it's compound interest. You know, you will become a millionaire with very little effort, you know, versus learning these things later in life. But no matter where you're at in your path, don't beat yourself up. You know, like if you're 40, 50, 60, there's still time. You can still change all these things. So that one of the bigger ones is you have to work hard for money. Another one is not being good enough you know, like I'm not smart enough. I'm not good enough with numbers. I'm not fill in the blank enough. You know, like we, we, the, but the bottom line is not feeling good enough. Mm-hmm. Uh, another one that I see a lot too is people with money are bad. People with money are corrupt. It, it's a negative connotation on it of some sort. So you want to pay attention to that too, you know, like, did you hear that in in your upbringing? And my family, it was always like, oh, look at so-and-so, the neighbor has a lot of money or your uncle has this much money. He must be doing something shady or whatever, you know, like there was this connotation, you know, this unspoken words or spoken, you know, for some people it might be like, oh yeah, you see, there we go again. They're corrupt. That's what happens. Rich people are all corrupt. Mm -hmm. So there's something... People with money are bad. Uh, another one is, or actually, just having a lot of money is bad. Yes, yes. I don't ever feel like I, I can't recall that being said, but I remember having. I don't even know why or where this came from, but I just realized that I would shy away from earning too much, and in some way, shape, or form, 
what helped to unlock that for me was Shonda Rhimes book year of yes. And she talked about how she has people around her who help her to be a, a present mom. And she is, you know, she's a mogul, right? She has a lot going for her. And so for her to say, and I also have this team help me, she said, we need to stop as women shaming the power of community. And we, and back in the day, that's how we did life was we would help one another. So yes, yes you may have a community or a team around you that helps you. So what unlocked for me in the moment was I would love to have a team help me, or I would love to have, you know, someone come in and clean my house once a month or help me or any of these things. But what in that moment, what happened was to realize that money was the tool that would help to bring in those other resources or money was the tool that would, would allow me to be generous for people maybe who didn't have a lot, because that's also part of my life. So when you said that, I'm like, yes, that thought around money is bad or, or you shouldn't have too much. Like where, where does that come from? Why are we dealing with that? It's such, such a great point, Karen, because a lot comes from patriarchy. They don't yeah. want women. They didn't want women to come together in sisterhood and in community, but that's where we thrive. When women come together, we go so much further together. It's like we rise together instead of, you know, like competing and look at her and, the, 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 you know, so they're, they infused it with a lot of shame. Don't let them come together because if women come together, they can become very powerful and they're going to outthrown us, you know? So it's, let's not let that happen. And Here's an interesting thing when you believe in that, because like you said, it's the, it's the shame, it's the guilt. There's so much shame and guilt behind money, you know? And when you're feeling that, wow, if I have a lot of money or if I make a lot of money, I'm bad, you know, it, it's bad. People with money are bad. What do you think it's going to do to your mindset? If you've never questioned that you're going to say, oh my God, I just came in with a lot of money, whether you inherited, whether you made it through your job, whether you, you know, someone gave it to you, whether you won the lottery, this is what you're going to do with the money. You're going to be like, oh, I don't want this thing that's bad. And you're just going to pass it on. You're either going to give it to someone else. You're going to spend it. You're going to lose it. Something's going to happen subconsciously. Again, it's your five-year-old, seven-year-old that's running the show. That's like, I don't want to be a bad person. I don't want to have that shame. Let me just throw it away. So I'm so happy and glad that you were able to analyze that, make that distinction and say, Ooh, what if money is not bad? And yep. let's flip that around, which was going to take me to the next point of like, how do we overcome these money blocks is the brain, what it does. So you, the brain's been infused with or, or has been filtering everything through these money blocks. Like you have to work hard for money. I'm not good enough. Uh, there's never enough is another one. Another big one that I see too is like, I don't need to worry about money. Money is, you know, I'm spiritual or I'm an artist, you know, money, artists don't need money or spiritual people don't need money. Well, I have news for you. You know, Mother Teresa was one of the biggest money manifestors because she understood that money was a tool, exactly what you just said. Yes, you know, yes. She knew that for what she wanted to do to help all these poor people, to help everyone, she was so good at manifesting millions and millions and millions of dollars. Mm -hmm. And that's what you want to start understanding first, that money is not good or bad. 
money yes. is neutral and yes. money is just a tool. Yes. And if you can understand that, like with the other part that you were saying, Karen, that why not start viewing money as a tool to infuse, be the fuel to drive your dreams or to support your dreams. Like you were saying, if I need team, I want someone to come and clean my home. I need someone to help me with the business. If that's that's a whole other conversation for women, because with a lot of the women that I've worked with that are solopreneurs, we pride ourselves. And I think this is part of patriarchy too, you know, just like Nope. You're here to, you know, give to us, nurture everyone else. You don't take care of yourself. You know, like you are the doers, but here's the thing. We pride ourselves of wearing all these different hats. Like I can be the mom. I can be the perfect wife. I can, you know, run the business and I can set up the website as well as do all the admin, as well as do the sales call. Like you're doing 50 jobs. Like, why are you doing, why are you doing the job of a cleaning person? Why are you doing the job of a accountant? Why are you keeping your books, which is a job of the bookkeeper? Why are you doing the job of the salesperson? And why are you doing admin stuff when you could have an assistant? And why are you editing and producing your podcast? You know, like, yes. <laughs> it blows my mind. Like really yeah. analyze what is your zone of genius, focus on that, and then get the support and learn how to bring in the money to support all these other things that you need. Yeah. You know, like that's a whole other podcast conversation but going, sure <laughs> because you just brought that, but I wanted to make emphasis on that because I know a lot of us can relate. It, yeah. it took me many years of running my business of realizing this and spent, you know, but what the help was for me was having a kid. And knowing that I could only work 20 hours a week because I yep. wanted to be with my family. So it's like, I can't do this. I just launched a podcast this year. Could I have launched it on my own and recorded everything and edited everything and done all these things? Yes. If I would have learned all of it, but guess what? It would have taken me maybe three more years to launch it mm-hmm. instead of, could I have done it by myself? Yes. But I, it would have been much longer of a process than leaning into my amazing team that just jumped in. It was very clear. I had my role. I record, they do the other parts, but anyway, I don't want to deviate going back to the money blocks here, you know, where you want to analyze, you want to see like, what do I, you identify with these money blocks and, and then question it and say, Oh my God. Yes. I do think money is bad. And that, like you said, Karen, like you might not even know at what point or what particular experience triggered that. Yeah. But just by becoming aware, Mm -hmm. noticing it, that's when you can start shifting things. Cause the next thing you want to do is give your brain a job. Your brain has been filtering all the information that comes through it through, let's take it your example. Money is bad. So you, it's been looking for evidence since you were a little girl of anyone that will, had money, how they were bad. And I'm sure you have examples of like, oh, see, that person was corrupt or this other person did bad with their money, you know, or they blew it or they. And so your brain's been filtering that information and you find circumstances and proof of why that money is bad. But what you want to do, once you've identified that block, like, let's say, I know you've already kind of gotten over it, but it's still there and it'll still show up sometimes and start giving your, your mind a different task of finding proof of the opposite 
of how money is good. And I just gave you an example with like mother Teresa, like how she was like, a like if you're one of those people that you're very spiritual and you're like, no money, you know, money is the root of all evil and money's not going to bring you pride and poverty. Like, no, we're not doing that. Yeah. If you have those kind of beliefs, you want to start questioning them and looking for the opposite of it and be like, oh my God, yes. Look at how spiritual and connected to God, Mother Teresa was and she manifested millions. Oh, look at this other spiritual person that does the same thing and how they've been able to build schools, you know, in the world, you know, like Look at Oprah. She's so spiritual. She's the first person who came to mind. Yes. She's so connected, but, you know, she's capable of manifesting millions and she gives to so many different organizations and she's got her school uh, project and all these different things. So that's what you want to start giving your mind. For those of us that have had the, you have to work hard for money. I had to start looking for proof of that. You know, I was like, Okay, what other women are out there that are entrepreneurs that have had six, seven figure businesses and, and prove to me, prove to me that you don't have to work hard, you know, and they'd start showing up. I'd be like, oh my God, look at this mom or this other person, you know, because that's the other one too. Then you become a mom and you're like, oh, I don't have time to work hard, you know, like, so look for proof of other moms that have done it and that have done it well. So that's the invitation. First, unlock and start seeing what might be the main money blocks you have, and then start giving your mind a job of looking for that those, the proof of the opposite of what you've been believing up to now. Yes. There's a lot of strategy in there. One of them that you, uh, spoke to very perfectly is the reframe, right? Okay. You acknowledge that this is a belief right now. That's creating the lens in which you see life and experience the, the, uh, transactions of money. But once you see that, then if it's unhealthy, if it's pointless, if it's holding you back, if it's any of those things that are unhelpful, then reframing it. But what you mentioned, I just want to give our listeners a little more depth to this is very key because when you mentioned that our brain is looking for evidence of these beliefs to be true and it's filtering out the other things that are still present, but holding on to the experiences or the knowledge that align with the belief that is your perspective on life. The reason it's doing that is because it's happening through our RAS or our reticular activating system, which is the same thing. And we've talked about this a little bit on previous episodes, but if you say that you want a white car, all of a sudden you start seeing a whole bunch of white cars because your brain is filtered through and is drawing in what you've set your mind to. And so, but it's the same thing with every other area of life, including new habits that you want to create or new experiences in your life. When people talk about manifestation, really what they're activating there is their RAS and they're able to then set direction for their intention or their desires and now the brain, because it has that direction, is filtering out all of the other stuff that doesn't support this thing that you are trying to draw into your life. Now, I again, I didn't have all these dots to connect when I was living through it myself, but now I see that power of, for me, yes, intention setting, but also visualization. And one of the things that helped me change this money mindset was, for example, visualizing looking at my phone. I swipe open my bank account. I look at my checking uh, account or I open up the banking app. I look at my checking account and what number do I see there? 
I mean, I was so specific about visualizing what I needed to live, what I wanted to earn, how I was going to save, how it was going to then create jobs within my company. This isn't just about me. This is about creating job opportunities for other people too. And as I started to visualize these things, don't you know, they started happening. And I didn't even know about the RAS at that time. I had no idea that my reticular activating system was in full effect. But then, right. But then when I learned the science, it actually, it amplified my confidence in applying this to multiple areas of life. But I would say that, you know, the, the money part was one of the, the hardest, especially because I was in a space where I wasn't seeing money flow. You know, I was working multiple jobs to try and, you know, keep food on the table and, and to keep the lights on. And, you know, I won the family lotto. So I definitely had parents who were very supportive and would help out when they can. But I continued to put that burden on myself. Well, I need to, and I shouldn't take handouts. And it was all of these other stories that were blocking me from really stepping into the fullness of what it feels like to have a money mindset. And I know visualization was key for me. I'm curious, what tactics do you use to help your clients really cultivate that kind of money mindset and even see the possibility of the freedom that they desire with time and money and the quality of life that they you know, aim to design? That's a great question. And everything that you're mentioning, several of those, I'm like, yes, RAS, you know, like RAS is like (laughs) module four and money magic miracles, you know, like we talk about reticular activating system there. And you explained that so beautifully. Visualization is also like module six or seven, I think, <laughs> in, in the program. And one of the places I'd say start with, and I, I love doing this, I call it universe cash. And what it is, is you want to set an intention. You mentioned intention at the beginning of the month. This is for everyone that's listening. Just play with it. Entertain it for one month. That's all I'm saying. Here's what it is. It's so much fun. Just set an intention of how much money you would like to manifest in the form of savings, discounts, gifts for one month. And if you've never done this before, you might want to start smaller, you know, like you might not be as daring because you don't believe it, you know, you don't believe it yet. So you can say, you know, for this month, I'm going to manifest $200, leave it at that. And then I want you, and I invite you to track this on a daily basis, because what will happen is you'll go out to lunch with a friend and they'll say, oh, let me pick up the bill. This is my invitation. And then you jot that down. That's how you're tracking it and say, oh, I would have paid 25 bucks for that lunch. Or another friend invites you to have coffee. Oh, I would have paid five bucks for that. That's when I mentioned before that in my signature program, the women manifested over $1.2 million. That was actual cash. I didn't mention universe cash because not a lot of people know this term. You know, this is just something that I made up. They manifested over $40,000 in universe cash, meaning gifts, discounts of just things that would show up unexpectedly. And that's when you're in that space, it's so magical, you know, like it just, you're flowing, you're in, it's these synchronicities. It's 
discounts that you didn't expect in any way, shape or form, you know, like whether you signed up for a course and they said, you know what, I'm, we're going to waive the fee because you were already here before you're like, what, you know, and it's all because you started with that intention. We want to live life with intention, you know? And so this is a great space to start out with, you know, with intentionality and saying, this is how much I want to manifest this year, this month. And just keep tracking it as you're going. You can do it with pen and paper. You can put it on your phone. You know, I track it on the phone. I, I just open up a note that's called Universe Cash. That's one thing to do. Definitely visualize and create space for, for silence. So besides visualization, another thing that I recommend is silencing your mind. We are so bombarded by information in this day and age. You know, it's like we are scrolling social media. It's, you know, the news, social, uh, emails, just everything on our phones. <laughs> it's, yeah. We're just taking in, taking in, taking in, but we don't allow for this to mix in our, you know, in our brain and be creative beings. We're the only animal on this planet that can create. We create from our imagination. That's where manifestation starts with. It all starts with a thought, like you're saying, Karen, like visualizing. You're visualizing that thought. You're energizing it. You're seeing it over and over. You're feeling it. And you're taking that thought that's in the non-physical form and bringing it into the physical form, whether it's a home you're manifesting, whether it's uh, because here's the bottom line. We don't, we all don't want money. We want what money can make us feel, you know, it's like, I, you could care less about like, no one wants to manifest a million dollars. Like, or if you do, or if you thought you wanted that, my next question would be, why do you want a million dollars? What right. do you want it for? What's the feeling that you're wanting to evoke from that? Is it because you want a home? Is it because you want a car? Is it because you want to travel, you know, with your friends or family, or you want this awesome, you know, dinners, you want to go out for dinners. So you really want to carve out space because in order to visualize, you have to also be in that space of silence, you know, where you get to express, you get to visualize versus taking in, taking in, taking in all this information. So you do want to carve out time and space for either sitting in silence, sitting in silence and journaling, you know, like it doesn't have to be in the lotus position and meditating, <laughs> you know, because I know some people get tripped up with that. If you are, if it comes easy to you and you can sit and visualize and, and meditate, awesome. If not, Go for a walk in nature, you know, go for a walk daily in silence without podcasts. Cause I sometimes yes. go for a walk while I'm on my phone and I'm talking to someone else or do a silent walk, do sit and just let the sun hit you on the face while you're, you know, out on the deck or something, but allow that space for your imagination to start rolling like that playful space. Like kids have, you know, we've forgotten that as adults. And that's where we start manifesting and start thinking about, well, what is it that I really want? Oh yeah. I want a home in this area and I want to travel next year to this other location. That's how everything starts for all of us. Those would be my top three tips uh, that I'd say that we can start cultivating, you know, and putting in place. Yes. That is so helpful. I, most of the listeners here, we're aligned and we love a game plan. Like, tell us what to do. How do we follow this to, you know, get these results? And I will tell you everything you just shared is exactly what helped me. 
it helped me to believe that more was possible. Um, and when I say it helped me, it helped me to shift from scarcity to abundance, but it also helped me to really get clear on what the desires of my heart were. Because again, all this information that's, you know, bombarding us and that's trying to steal our attention. It's creating this storyline that may not feel authentic to you. And if you're not spending time with yourself to really figure out what you want, why you want it, and what is possible in essence, you know, how you can start to achieve that, um, then you start to create a life based on someone else's terms. And that is never going to feel good. Even if you do have, you know, seven figures in the bank, it'll never feel good because it's not truly aligned with what you want and why you want it. So thank you for sharing that. Thank you so much for sharing that. You know, what comes to mind also is something that you mentioned earlier, being left out of conversations around investing or different ways that we can, you know, diversify our income streams is something that a lot of women are up against. When we're not engaged in those conversations, when we're not educated on on what's available, it's so foreign to us that it becomes very scary. You know, how can you trust going into that? How do you know what you're doing? How can you navigate it with care and with wisdom? So I imagine that you've probably dealt with some clients who share this same fear and uncertainty around investing. How do you help them navigate that specifically in that area? Because again, I just feel like there's a lot of education. There's a gap in this, in this conversation. And so I particularly would like to help women overcome any uncertainty that they have in investing for you. You, you've been in this space for a while. You're helping other people do it. What are some uh, tips that you would give maybe these beginning investors? Thanks for that question. I'm going to start it with a, a, a short story of how I started in this. When I was in corporate, I was saving for my 401k. I left the corporate job. And I remember so clearly New York City, walked into a city bank, did not know the representative that was there. You know, I was just assigned someone and I'm like, they've told me I have to roll this into an IRA. And so he, we took the money and he put it into a bunch of different mutual funds or whatever. And this was in 2007. And then I went off to Spain. So I basically abdicated my power, my understanding, because I didn't understand much about it. I didn't ask questions. I didn't know what questions to ask. I didn't want to seem stupid. So I gave him, you know, like, just do something with my money. You know, like I've saved all this for all these years. I went to Spain, came back after four years. and. I'd lost a lot of money within it. And I was so upset. And I was putting the blame on the Citibank guy when I had to take responsibility for myself, you know, for not wanting to learn more and and get, and just giving it away. You know, it's like I that was my fault, not his. You know, it, it that's the bottom line. So my husband said to me, because he'd been investing in the stock market for a while. He's like, why don't you contact our advisor, our family advisor that he'd been using, his family had been using, and ask him for a list of stocks with dividends. Here's how ignorant I was. I didn't even know what a dividend was. I don't know if it's because it was second language to me. For whatever reason, a dividend, now I understand it's the companies will give you money, you know, part of what they've earned every either quarter or once a year or every six months or whatever. So, and I will tell you, it's not because English is the second language because English is my first language. And I didn't learn that term until maybe two years ago. <laughs> thank you. Thank you yeah. for validating that, Karen, because 
I was even hesitant to contact the financial advisor because I felt embarrassed. And so I, I told my husband, I'm like, well, what's a dividend? And he's explaining it to me. I'm like, okay, well, maybe I'll sound a little bit smarter when I go in. And here's again, part of patriarchy making you feel stupid, you know, like you, because women aren't supposed to learn these things. And it, it does a disservice to women because women are actually better investors than men. And it's proven statistically. And it's a disservice to men because it puts such a burden on men too, because why are men supposed to know all about finances? And then they come into a family and it's like, no, nope, you should know this. You know, like that's what society says. So yeah. you figure it out. And maybe the woman in that relationship is better with numbers and finances. So anyway, I went in, I asked the advisor and he gave me a list and luckily because I'd already worked in advertising, there were a lot of companies that I did not align with their values, you know, like, especially in the pharmaceutical world. And, and I'm like, no, I would never invest in this company. No, you know, like, and so I picked my five that had dividends that would keep giving me money. And then we'd get that money and reinvest it again with, they say it takes an average of seven years to double your money in the stock market. Within the first 10 years of me putting that money in and making my those choices, I added a zero to the, so I didn't double it. I 10 X the money that I had invested. And that was such a feeling of empowerment. So for anyone that's listening, that you've ever been scared, that you feel ignorant, that you feel stupid, that I don't understand it, I got C's and math. I needed a math tutor when I came back from the States. So one of the programmings that I had was I'm not good with numbers. I'm not, you know, I'm not good with math. So I shouldn't be doing this stuff. But I felt so empowered after this that I started looking into other, you know, I'm like, oh, well, let me learn more about the stock market. And how awesome is this? Like, I barely work. My money's just been sitting there and I've made more money than like at my, with my own business. So <laughs> then I started reading about books about this, learning from different mentors and teachers. So that's my suggestion. Take baby steps. It, they set up that world of finance with all its jargon. Like, I've learned what does ROI mean, you know, return on investment. I've learned about dividends. I've learned about, you know, like just all these terms that would go over my head. And now I'm familiar with them. You know, like I just, it's all about learning. No one is born knowing about finances and they purposely do it kind of like the lawyers where they use this jargon to make you feel stupid. So and to rely on the quote unquote expert as opposed, yep. Yep. To rely on them. And so my invitation is start with easy, the basic baby steps, you know, look for books maybe that are uh, on spirituality and Do you abundance. have any favorites, maybe one or two that you would recommend oh, for our listeners? Yeah. Thank you. Thank you for that, Karen. Yes. There was one that I started with that's called The Four Spiritual Laws of Prosperity by Edwina Gaines. And how she, it's more about manifesting. So it's not all this jargon, you know. So that's one that I recommend. Think and Grow Rich. I think any, every entrepreneur, you know, has that one with Napoleon Hill. 
the science of uh, getting rich, which was Wallace Waddles. Again, some of these books are old, like Wallace Waddles is from like 1903, I believe. So just bear with it. A lot of the terms are men, 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 because women didn't handle money at that time. Those are perfect. We'll drop those in the show notes for our listeners. Thank you. And so, yes, start with baby steps and give yourself grace. Be compassionate with yourself. Do not judge yourself. Be an observation and understanding and, and start tapping into communities where the talk of this subject is easy for you, you know, like where you can relate to those mentors, to those teachers, to those authors of the books, you know, where you're like, oh yeah, you know, like they can talk about these subjects, you know, and I feel comfortable like uh, during COVID with my, my ladies that we had in our room, like we, we were talking about, like, we just felt so comfortable talking about these things. Like, oh my God, my business is going down. Like I need loans, you know, like what loans? And we talked the SBA loans and the PPP loans and, you know, like how do we fund our business? Are there credit cards at 0%? So you want to learn about all these terms. You want to learn about credit and your credit score. You want to learn, like I've, I've just become curious now, you know, because no one knows these things. Like I have surpassed my husband that was much better at understanding, you know, investments in uh, in the stock market. I got all into crypto. I wanted to learn about crypto. Um, It's not at the best stage right now at the time of recording, but I still believe it is the money of the future, you know, and that's how things and transactions are going to be done. I'm wanting to learn about real estate now. And because here's the bottom line, and I'll leave this message for all of you as we're talking with the uh, money and learning about the financial aspect of things. And again, I don't teach this. I'm not a financial advisor. Uh, I always preface it with that. I just have a, a fascination with our relationship with money, the psychology behind it, the energy of money. And in the interim, I've learned about these other things too, about investment. And I do feel like I know a lot about crypto. You know, I'm just a couple steps ahead of other people. I know more about uh, stock investing in the stock market, but I'm also a lot of steps behind other people that know a lot more than me. So that's why you always want to be searching for different mentors and teachers that you align with and that you want to learn from. And just be curious, go out, learn about it, read some books. If you can just learn on a daily basis or have a conversation with someone about money, whether you read one page of a book, whether you listen to a podcast like this one, that already qualifies. That's another habit that I have with the women in in my groups. You want to start familiarizing yourself so you can feel comfortable talking about this subject because it's such a taboo subject, especially for women. Like, and we've been made to feel shame around it. Like we're not good enough to learn it. We can't understand it. But if you go through it, you are going to feel so empowered on the other side. You're going to learn so much. And I can't wait for you to connect with Karen, connect with me and let me know and be like, oh my God, when I heard you on that podcast and this is what I did. And I went and learned about real estate. Like, I don't know anything about real estate. That's my next big endeavor that I want to learn for all of us that are working so hard, whether you have a job or you have your own business, the path to wealth, they say that the 
uh, wealthy people have seven streams of income, seven streams of income. So think to yourself, how many streams do you currently have? Maybe one is your job. Another one could count if you're in partnership or in a relationship from a partner, but also no, your partner can disappear at any moment. You guys could divorce, they could become disabled. So that's why, or or yourself, that's why you want to have all these other streams of income so that if one dries up, you can pull from another one because business is not linear and neither is your job. For those of you that have a job and you're relying on your steady paycheck, guess Mm -hmm. what? You can be let go of tomorrow. And how scary is that going to be if you don't have another stream of income mm-hmm. and it, nothing is linear, everything is cyclical, you know, and we go in cycles and your business might be making a ton of money this year. And then it might not be making, and we've COVID was proof of it. You know, it yeah. threw us off kilter. So start thinking about what other streams of income can I generate? You know, is it, is it through royalties? You know, like maybe I have intellectual property, like I've written a book or maybe, you know, like I do music or movies or something, or is it another one could be the stock market. You want to learn about investing in the stock market. Another one could be cryptos. Another one could be real estate. Another one could be, you know, gold or precious metals, you know, like what are those sources of income that create a little bit of curiosity for you and start learning about that buying businesses. Like what is it that you want to learn? So I'll leave you with that. I know it was long, but I, I think it's really important for all of us to keep that in mind, if you want to build wealth for yourself, if you want money to support your purpose, to support your business, to support your, your lifestyle, start thinking of how can I generate all these other uh, streams of income for myself? I think that is so, so perfectly said because investing is one, but there should be many. There should be many. And that's another uh, change in the narrative, if you will. Instead of working at one job for 45 years, It's okay, one, if you change jobs, but it's also okay to pursue other avenues to create those streams of income. That is so important and a lesson that I learned late in life. So I'm trying to teach that to my son earlier. (laughs) Yes, that's a whole other podcast with the kids because my daughter, it's the same thing. We're teaching her about investment and streams of income. Yep. So she's not dependent on just one thing. Oh, if we can pass that on to the next generation, Karen, my heart would be so happy. Yes. Yes. You pass on the financial literacy and I will pass on the mental well-being. Those two things, I think it would help to change the world. (laughs) Well, I want to throw out another resource that can help people who are curious. As you said, I think that's a great place to start with any area of growth. You have a manifesting abundance challenge that's coming up. Tell us a little bit about that and how people can hop in on the abundance challenge. Yes. Thank you for asking that, Karen. We, I'm having this manifesting abundance challenge, which is so fun to just start getting those muscles, uh, strengthen, you know, of like, Oh, how can I start shifting my mindset from lack? And there's never enough to start, uh, manifesting. Like I was mentioning before with universe cash, it's a fun space where we can come together and you can start exercising it, you know, like just come committed, come with an intention. It's a week long and you'll start seeing change and you'll start seeing shift. And the last manifesting abundance challenge, people would set an intention of what they wanted to manifest in that week. And one of them, Sheila, actually, I think she wrote $2,000. She was going to manifest in a week. 
And I'm sure other people might have, because some people are like a hundred bucks or 200 and I'm like, oh, she's very daring with that. And she ended up manifesting 10,000, like actual <laughs> cash. She got a refund from a course, you know, so you just never know where it's going to come from. So I invite anyone that's listening, come and join us and man and manifesting abundance challenge that's coming up. If you listen, happen to listen to this replay uh, a little bit later, just stay tuned, come into my world. I also have a free uh, resource that's called Amplify Our Abundance, and it's a guide where you can access the, the resources, the practices to help you manifest your dreams, your desires, and amplify that abundance that you're, that you're wanting. And you can find that guide at Amplify ourabundance.com. We'll put that in the show notes too. So if you want to start at a place for free, go there, you know, what, at whatever point that you're listening to. Thank you for bringing that up, Karen. I appreciate yes, it. Absolutely. Well, our group, we love good resources. <laughs> Again, give us a game plan and we will follow it. So want to make sure that everyone has these different tools and strategies. Thank you so much for sharing, uh, a ton of strategies and tips. Again, I warn them, get your pen and paper ready. They might have to go back and listen again. Listen. Yes. But Tanya, you were so generous during this conversation. Thank you so much for all the work that you're doing to really change the narrative and, and help other women to find their freedom, whether it's in time or money or business or all of them, all of the above, uh, you are definitely serving in your gifts. So thank you so much. Thank you. Thanks for having me, Karen. I appreciate it. This has been In the Details. If you like the show, tell a friend. For more shows like this, go to success.com slash podcasts.